It's easy to evaluate the youth ministries if you never serve in them. It's easy to talk about how unhospitable some people are if you yourself are not hospitable. It's easy to talk about the programs that you wish you had or we should have when you're not involved anywhere. It's easy to direct the church from the bench. Hello and welcome to Search the Scriptures, a daily walk through the Bible with Dr. Carl Brogy. Senior Pastor of Community Bible Church in Beaufort, South Carolina. We're in a study of the book of Romans, and yesterday we entered the practical section beginning in chapter 12, which, as the name implies, gives us practical ways in which we ought to live. Chapter 12 is particularly applicational because it deals with the spiritual gifts believers receive at the time they come to faith in Christ. As we pick up in our message entitled, Unwrapping Your Spiritual Gift, Pastor Brogy discusses how believers can maximize their gifts by walking in the way Christians are called to walk. Look now, if you will, at verse 3. For through the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think more highly of himself than he ought to think, but to think so as to have sound judgment as God has allotted to each a measure of faith. Notice what he does not say. He does not say, for through the grace given to the elders and the deacons and the paid staff. No, that's not what he says. For through the grace given to me, I say to everyone, he's writing to the Christians in Rome, and by application, you and I. Yes, he's including the elders and the deacons, but he has in mind every single born-again, blood-bought child of God. He's speaking to brethren, so don't leave here thinking that if I live some kind of a dedicated life, I can merit heaven. He's writing to people who have already been saved by grace apart from works. That's why he calls them brothers. Paul does not use the term loosely in the New Testament. These are people who are in Christ. And he is reminding them that what I am about to tell you, I am telling you from the perspective of grace. And of course, you have to know Paul's past to appreciate that. So now I'm meeting people 18, 19, 20 years old. They don't even know who Adam and Eve is. They've never heard of Moses. We are a totally biblical, illiterate society. I was in Rome, and I asked the hotel concierge about a particular place concerning the Apostle Paul. He said, I've never heard of this man, the Apostle Paul. That's Europe. 3% of the people in Italy even attend church. And we're becoming like that as a nation. So Paul was a man who was a Christ hater. He was a man who attacked the church. He was a man who at one time was the big man in town. He was a member of the Supreme Court of Israel, what we call the Sanhedrin. He was a mega Pharisee of of sorts. But this big shot became a slave because this big shot was headed for hell, but God rescued him. He opened his eyes up that Jesus is the Messiah. He yielded his life. And so throughout his epistles, he usually opens them with the words, Paul, a bondservant of Christ Jesus. And so in light of the grace that God shows us all, Paul is asking us to make some personal evaluation. Look again at verse 3. I say to everyone among you not to think, underscore that, not to think more highly of himself than he ought to think, second think, but to think, third think, so as to have literally sober thinking. It's the same word, it's just a compound word. We translate it here, sound judgment. But it's literally sober thinking. Four times into one verse, God crowds in the word thinking. Why does he do that? Because he wants us to think. 
And he wants us to think the right way because he knows there's extreme thinking. So first of all, you should not think with sinful exaggeration. You're not to think in an unhealthy way with sinful exaggeration. And that happens when you forget the source of your gifts. When your arm's out of joint and you're patting yourself on the back and telling you yourself what a good job you've done. No, if God has given you the ability to preach, it is by his grace. If God has given you the ability to lead, it is by his grace. If God has given you the ability to show mercy, it is by his grace. If God has given you the gift of helps, it is by his grace. If God has given you some spiritual gift, some natural talent, which by the way is different from a spiritual gift. People tell me, well, I'm not a gifted person. What do you mean? Well, you know, I can't sing. Or Singing in the choir is not a spiritual gift. That's a natural talent. That's not a spiritual gift. Now, it might utilize a spiritual gift. Someone with the gift of serving may serve God's people through song, but singing is not a spiritual gift. There are 20 spiritual gifts listed in the New Testament. You need to find out what they are. It's very important. Just like not only are there natural talents that are not spiritual gifts, there's required skills. Um, I had five years of piano. I can't play anything. My parents wasted the money, and I tried hard at it. I just, I just was not wired that way to be a piano player. And so there are acquired skills, there are natural talents that often will interface with spiritual gifts, but every one of you this morning is a gifted person. On your spiritual birthday, God gave you a special ability to serve Him and to serve His people. But when you think about your spiritual gift, remember God gave it to you. He's the giver of gifts. He's the source of all gifts. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, I am what I am. By the grace of God. Now, I'm not real big on poems. I know pastors who read them every week, and if that's what God's called me to do, great. But every once in a while, I come across a poem, and I saved this one for over 30 years because I think it, it summarizes really well someone who thinks too highly of himself. Sometimes when you're feeling important, sometimes when your ego is up, sometimes when you take it for granted that you are the prize-winning pop, Sometimes when you think that you're going would leave an unfillable hole, just follow these simple instructions and see how it humbles your soul. Take a bucket and fill it with water. Put your hand in it up to the wrist. Pull it out, and the hole that's remaining is a measure of how much you'll be missed. You can splash all you wish when you enter. You may stir up the water galore, but stop, and you'll find that in no time it's right back where it was before. What's the point? None of us are indispensable to the cause of Christ. That's what he's saying here in verse 3. I say to everyone among you not to think more highly of himself than he ought to think. There's only one indispensable person, and that's the head, the Lord Jesus Christ. And so some Christians have an exaggerated view of themselves in terms of gifts that they think they have, but they do not have. And real damage many times is done in the body of Christ when they assume areas of service that they're not gifted for. And so we're warned, don't think more highly of yourself than you ought to think. And God wants to remind us that how he has wired us is totally by his grace. So in God's way of thinking, there are no big shots in the body of Christ. You see, we tend to think that the people who are up front, who are very visible, are the important people. God doesn't think that way. That's the world's thinking. In God's economy, the little woman who who uses her gift of serving and she cleans the nursery week after week, she's no less important than the pastor. 
She's no less important than Dr. Billy Graham. And her reward might even be greater than Dr. Billy Graham's if she's faithful to do what God has called her to do. No, you are to think biblically. You're not to overestimate yourself when you're thinking. In fact, the very first word here for think, you see it there in your text? Look down, it it, it has a prefix to it. Huper, we get our word hyper from it. Don't be so excited about yourself. Don't get all hyper about yourself. Literally, you're not to be high-minded. The word think in verbal form, when it's in noun form, is the word for mind in the Bible. Literally, don't be high-minded. Don't think higher of yourself than you ought to think. But it also can be said you're not to think with false humiliation. That's the other extreme. Don't think with sinful exaggeration, but neither should you think with a false humiliation. One is self-admiration, the other is self-deprecation. Some of us think with sinful exaggeration. We have a warped view of ourselves. Other people, they think with a false humiliation, and both are wrong, both are sin. You meet, on the one hand, the guy says, you don't know who you're talking to. You don't know who I am, and I've met people like that. But then you meet those Christians You know, a brother or sister comes up to him and says, brother, thank you so much for your ministry. It just really meant a lot to me that you cared for my child all week in vacation Bible school. And by the way, a child came down front, failed to mention it in the first service, who came to Christ this year in vacation Bible school because of the effort that hundreds of people made. And I thank God for that. And so there are some people, you know, they're affirmed in their ministry and they say, oh, it wasn't me. It was God. And that sounds really spiritual, but it was you. God did it through you. And to deny that is to deny what God says about you. And so there's nothing more pathetic than the Christian who's got his hands in his pocket and he runs around with his head down. He says, I'm just a big nothing. No, you're a something. And God has created you to serve his people in a specific way. God has allotted to each. The Greek word allotted, you could translate it. God has dealt out literally to each. It's like God's got a deck of cards and he deals out the full deck. He deals out all the spiritual gifts that are needed in the local assembly for the building up of itself in love. And so because God has given to each man a gift, you're not to seek some gift. God's already given it to you. You are to use the gift as God has given to each a measure of faith. And of course here, obviously, he's not talking about saving faith. He's already dealt with the subject of salvation. He's talking about the fact that God has gifted you. He's dealt out to you a specific gift, and he's given you behind that gift the faith, the ability, and so the stewardship to carry out the function of that gift. God's made an investment in you. And so you're not to aspire to be something that you are not, but neither are you not to function in the place for which God has made you because he's given you a gift. God's allotted to you everything that you need to serve in the body of Christ. And so if he's given you the gift of administration or government, as it's called in the old English, then he's given you all the equipment that you need to be effective in that area. If he's given you the gift of evangelism, he's given you a measure of faith, everything that you need to be to do the work of an evangelist. Now we'll see before we're done, when we come to the rest of the text next time, that in God saying that, he does not eradicate common responsibilities that we have. 
And so there are 16 non-sign gifts listed in the New Testament, and with each one, there's an accompanying responsibility. And so while you may not have the gift of teaching, while you may not serve in the office of teaching, Paul distinguishes the office from the gift from the responsibility. And so the writer to the Hebrews says, by this time, you, meaning you all, plural, ought to be teachers. So there's a sense in which as we grow and mature, we're all to carry out the responsibility of teaching, though we may never have the gift of teaching because God didn't wire us that way, or we may never serve in the office like I do as a pastor teacher. You may not have the gift of evangelism, but every Christian is called and commissioned by Jesus Christ to do the work of an evangelist, and so on. We could go through each of the non-signed gifts. God, though, has given you a measure, a measure of faith to trust Him to function in that area that He has given you. And especially as you're developing that gift, you, you realize this. And so, I, you know, I remember the first time I was ever asked to stand up and, and to preach. And it wasn't in front of a big group. It was about 25 people. And I was just kind of scared to death. But I said, God, you need to help me because if you don't help me, this is going to be a disaster. And you never want to lose that because, you see, a measure of faith is that ongoing, moment-by-moment dependence upon God through your whole life. And that's how God wants you to live, by trusting Him. So don't think too highly of yourself. Don't think with sinful exaggeration. Don't think too lowly of yourself. God has gifted you. He's given to each one a gift. He's allotted to each a measure of faith. Don't think with some false humiliation and, and think that that's spiritual because it's not. It's either sin or it is unbelief but you're to think with a sober realization. You're to think with a sober realization. That's what he plainly tells us here. Think so as to have sound judgment. Now, the Apostle Paul is giving us the balance between these two extremes. You might think where he would say, well, just don't think about yourself at all. But that's not the solution. He says, think so as to have sound judgment. Judgment, and as I told you already, in that word sound, judgment is the word think. It's a compound word in Greek. You could literally say, think about yourself in such a way so as to have sound thinking. And it's a word that speaks of boundaries. There's boundaries that God has called you to think within. And those boundaries, of course, are set by the Bible itself. And so he's been unfolding those boundaries, two specifically. First, you recognize that everything that you have received is by God's grace. Again, he said, for through the grace given to me, I say to everyone. And Paul, as a a man who had been saved, could say that to everyone. And you ought to be able to say it if you've been saved. I am what I am by the grace of God. And so Paul constantly writes of God's grace. For instance, he says to Timothy, I thank Christ Jesus, our Lord, who has strengthened me because he considered me faithful, putting me into service. Even though I was formerly a blasphemer and a persecutor and a violent aggressor, yet I was shown mercy. And the grace of our Lord Jesus was more than abundant. And so to think soberly is to think within biblical boundaries. First, you recognize that everything you have is a result of the grace of God. But secondly, Not only everything we have is by God's grace, everything that we do is by God's grace. If you are effectively serving the Lord, it is only by His grace. Now, sometimes I preach a sermon and someone will come up and say, Pastor, I don't want you to get a big head, you know, but it was a really good sermon, you know, thanks, Pastor. But they go, don't get a big head, you know. How silly. Now, sometimes... 
Sometimes it is true that God uses us in spite of ourselves. God used the ministry of Jimmy Swaggart when he was visiting prostitutes and Jim Baker when he was committing adultery in the 80s, two major Christian leaders, and people were still coming to Christ. Not because of them, but in spite of them. And sometimes God does that, and that speaks too to the power of His Word as a living and active sword and instrument. But listen, if you are serving effectively, it's because you recognize that it is by God's grace that I am gifted in this area, and it is by God's grace that He can minister through me in this area. I don't care what you're doing, whether you're showing mercy at a hospital bed, whether you're serving in the nursery, teaching an adult Bible fellowship, whatever area it is that God has gifted you in, if you're going to be truly successful, then you must do it in the power in the dependence upon the Holy Spirit. As you've received Christ Jesus the Lord, that's how you walk in him. And when you recognize, look, I didn't really pull this off. God pulled it off through me. You don't get a big head because you recognize that was God's touch. That was God's power. That was God moving on my life to be able to care for those children the way I did today. So God has measured to each of us a measurement of faith. And so we are to recognize that it is given on the basis of grace and it is to be lived out on the basis of grace. Now, I want you to find your spiritual gift. And some of us here don't really know what our spiritual gift is. So look again at verse 3. For through the grace given to me, I say to everyone, you are not to think. I hope you have the four thinks underlined. You're not to think more highly of himself than he ought to think, but to think so as to have sound thinking. You could write over sound judgment, sound thinking. That's literally what the word means. It would have better to have rendered it that way, I think. As God is a letter to, measured to each, given to each a measure of faith. So how do you find your gift? Well, first of all, you need to educate yourself in the gifts. What does God say? Go to those four central passages, the two fours, the two twelves. Start there. You might want to take the spiritual gifts course that we offer here. I did my doctoral dissertation on the subject and the appendices of my doctoral dissertation is that course that you can take and you can download it, listen to it on your phone when you're out cutting the grass and you could, you could get an education on the subject of spiritual gifts. You might even take the exam at searchthescriptures.org. It's a 128 question exam. And it's certainly not foolproof. I'm not so silly to think that. Many people take spiritual gift inventories and they still say, I don't know what my spiritual gift is. Why? Either A, because they're still like that little baby that you're holding in your arms. And they just haven't grown enough to see what they've been made for. And some of us are just brand new Christians. And the best way for you to find your spiritual gift is just to obey what you know. And when you obey what you know, you're going to grow. And that's why we emphasize the discovery class because it's a foundational course, not only to help new believers, but people who've never been discipled. And they're the second category of people who don't know their spiritual gifts. Where you meet Christians, sometimes they've been believers for 20 or 30 years, and they don't even know there is such a thing as spiritual gifts. But again... If you're a growing Christian, your spiritual proclivity that God gave you is going to manifest itself. It's going to show itself. So think. uh, Find out what God says about this subject. 
So there must be, of course, earnest consecration. There must be a thoughtful evaluation where you think soberly, biblically. But third, there must be faithful cooperation. And some of us this morning would benefit from this. Some of us who already know our gifts, some who are still trying to find our gifts, and we need to understand this principle of cooperation that he begins to unfold in verse 4. He really gives us three truths in the design of the local assembly to find our spiritual gifts. First, he gives the illustration of the human body. And the illustration of the human body pictures unity. Um, Let me read verse 4 to you. For just as we have many members in one body, and all the members do not have the same function. So Paul is drawing a comparison here in verses 4 and 5 between the human body that you're sitting in this morning and between Christ's body, the church, the local assembly. Now, the human body, if it's healthy, is wonderfully coordinated. Every part of your body in coordination with the other parts function together. And there is an intimacy, there's a connectiveness amongst all the parts so that they all can function together. And at the top of that body, there's a head. And so it is in the church. Put out in the margin, would you, next to verse 4, 1 Corinthians 12, 1 Corinthians 12, 14 through 17. 1 Corinthians 12, 14 through 17. You might want to turn there. It's the next book over. It's just a few pages to the right. 1 Corinthians 12, the next book after Romans is Corinthians. Go to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. I know many are here today, first time without a Bible, and I understand that because you've been to churches your whole life where you don't need one. I'm not here to share my opinion today. I'm here to open God's Word. That's what's going to change your life. And if you know anything about the Corinthians, you know that their real problem was not in the discovery of their gifts, but in the exercise of their spiritual gifts. They weren't functioning as a team. They were promoting some spiritual gifts and totally ignoring other spiritual gifts. They had, as the first chapter teaches, all the gifts of the Spirit. The problem was is they were lacking in the fruit of the Spirit. And let me just say parenthetically here, it's virtually impossible to find your spiritual gift unless you are a spirit-filled person. And that's why we spent a few weeks ago, as I do from time to time, just as a fresh review, what it means for us to walk in the Spirit in dependence upon the Lord. So it's virtually impossible to find your spiritual gift unless you're filled with the Spirit, because until you're filled with the Spirit, you're not going to grow consistently. But it is very possible, having found your spiritual gift, to exercise it not in the power of the Spirit, but in the energy of the flesh. And so someone could serve, say, in the nursery today and be miserable the whole time they're there. They're serving, but not in a Spirit-filled fashion, not in a way that really is pleasing the Lord. And so here was a church where they were exercising spiritual gifts, but in the energy of human dependence. And so here in the 12th chapter, look at verse 14. He says, for the body is not one member, speaking of your human body, but many. That's what we just read in Romans 12 and verse 4. Look at verse 15. If the foot foot says, because I am not a hand, I am not a part of the body, it is not for this reason any a less part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I'm not a part of the body, it is not for this reason any the less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the hearing be? If the whole were hearing, where would the sense of smell be? Can you imagine if I were up here today trying to preach and I was just one big eyeball? I I couldn't say anything, I I couldn't hear anything, but I could see you, just one big eyeball. If the whole were hearing, 
Where would the sense of smell be? I, I could hear you, but I couldn't smell you. Not that I'd want to, but still, you know. But now God has placed the members, each one of them, in the body just as he desired. If they were all one member, where would the body be? But now God, but now there are many members, but one body. Just as the human body has many members, so does the body of Christ. And a body that would be only a head or a hand or a nose would be a monster. But in, unfortunately, many Christians and many churches are spiritual monsters. Some members are trying to function in every capacity and not in the area for which God has called and gifted them to primarily. And other members don't function at all. Suppose a professional football team functioned in that way where every member just did his own thing. I can't guarantee you they would have a lousy season. Well, the local church is a team. And God calls us to function as a coordinated body. Many years ago, I brought my two oldest sons to a football game in Dallas. And someone gave me two free tickets, and they had like these 50-yard seats, you know, four rows up from the bottom. And, and, you know, I had this broken-down car, and I pulled up into the stadium, and I had this VIP parking lot. The guy kind of looked at me, and it was an old Subaru. It had like 180,000 miles. The paint was all faded. The hood was dented. And I said, yes, sir, I've got VIP parking. And we went there after church. They always started the games at noon. So the spiritual Christians would usually go to church first. Anyway, we got there. We were there by halftime, and we sat there, and there were 65,000 fans in that stadium, and they were all yelling at the players and the coaches. It's really easy to do when you're warming the bleacher, when you're drinking your drink and eating your popcorn, to be the authority and to tell them how they should have done it. It's easy to say, you should have had your eye on the ball, buddy. But it's quite another thing when you're down on the field and you're taking the hits. It's easy to be the pastor of the church if you're, if you're not pastoring. It's easy to be an act like the preacher if you're not preaching. It's easy to criticize and evaluate the choir if you're not singing in it. It, it. It's easy to evaluate the youth ministries if you never serve in them. It's easy to talk about how unhospitable some people are if you yourself are not hospitable. It's easy to talk about the programs that you wish you had or we should have when you're not involved anywhere. It's easy to direct the church from the bench. That's the way a lot of Christians are. But when you get into the game and you get your hands dirty and your, 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 your uniform scuffed up and you got some sweat on your brow and you take some hard hits, everything begins to change. You know, occasionally someone leaves here and a couple of months go by and we say, hey, have you seen so? No, I haven't seen them. Sure, they're not in the first service. No, no, I haven't seen them. Not in Bluffton. No, they're, they're, they're not here. Why does it take us two months to miss them? Because they're missable. They don't serve anywhere. They're a vital, they're supposed to be a vital member of the body of Christ, but they don't serve anywhere. So they're really not missed. Now we want them to be missed. And God wants you to be missed. He wants you to play a vital role in the local church. And that is first and foremost. Now we'll explore this further next time because we're going to see that some of the gifts also function not just when the church is assembled, when we are gathered, but also when the church is scattered. Spiritual gifts are distributed by the Holy Spirit as He sees fit. You will know that you are operating within your giftedness when you find that that gift yields results, that you enjoy employing your gift, 
and that you receive positive affirmation from others that you are truly gifted in that area. To listen again to today's message, use the Search the Scriptures app or visit our website, searchthescriptures.org. You can also order a hard copy by calling Search the Scriptures at 877-787-7478 and requesting program ROM58. Tomorrow, Pastor Carl's wife, Audrey, is in this time slot with her program for women, Mothering from the Heart. You can hear more of Audrey's messages on the Search the Scriptures app found on the iTunes Store and Google Play Store, as well as her new Rare But Real podcast, which is found on iTunes, Spotify, and Google Podcasts. When we return Monday, we'll conclude our message, Unwrapping Your Spiritual Gift. Join us then as we search the Scriptures.